Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Podcast. In a moment, we'll listen in on a message from our Sunday morning worship service. But first, if this is your first time tuning into NLCC, we would love for an opportunity to get to know you and walk with you in your faith journey. If you're interested in connecting with this church, head to our website, northliberty.cc, and hit the I'm New button or use the links in the description. Our goal is to help you experience the transformational power of God in your life. And we hope and pray that you find that in this message. And I've watched my son and I've watched his staff. I've seen my grandkids and youth kids do the same. Whenever they are playing sports or they're gaming systems, when they find themselves losing or making wrong decisions to get to the next level, they all want to restart the game. Uh, if they lose or, or mess up, they want a, a rematch or a do-over uh, until they win, right? The best out of three, then it's the best out of five, and then it's the best out of seven. I mean, what if we could do that with our lives? Uh, to have the opportunity to go back in time and play to a place where you made some pretty horrible decisions and have the opportunity to do it differently. And I, I, I know that every honest Christian in worship today has a moment in time that they wish they could rewrite. There, there are decisions we made in the past that we wish we could just kind of take back. You wish you could bury the things in your past and forget like God does with our sin when we repent as his children. Back in elementary school, there was a young girl that we teased a lot. Uh, she wasn't wealthy, and she wasn't the prettiest. Uh, the one thing that she had going for herself was that she was smarter than all the boys in our class. We knew she was. And maybe that's one of the reasons why we teased her the way we did in elementary school. We had this thing uh, called cooties back in the day. I don't know if that's still a word today. Uh, that was probably the worst thing that we could call her was cooties. Things were a little bit different back then, didn't have all the vulgarity and the hate and the cancel culture we do today. Whenever she would cross over a section of the sidewalk or a, a section of the, the floor in Bingham Elementary School, if she sat in a chair, if she used a piece of chalk, whatever it was, we would call her cootie bug and avoid touching anything that she touched or walked on so as not to get cooties. And I think about how we treated her so many years ago, and I still feel pretty bad about those, especially how I felt when my own friends were making fun of me. And, and I wish I could go back and do it all over. Our paths did cross back in the early 90s, and I did apologize to her. She didn't even remember who I was. Um, but it doesn't take away what I was part of and the memory of that so many years ago that I wish I could take back, that I wish I could change. Just one of the many things I wish I could do over. And some even more recent, right? Uh, let, so let me say this so I don't forget. If I have ever offended you or said something, did something, acted, reacted in a godless way, I am sorry for that. I truly am. Maybe you got mad at something or someone and punched a hole in a wall or threw something across the room destroying it. You, you did something in front of your children you want to do over, Right? And if you could just go back and take a deep breath and count to 100 before you, you reacted or made that decision, but we can't. The only thing that we can uh, do about bad decisions is to make the necessary corrections, apologize, and learn from the past and move forward. And if people are unwilling to show mercy, that's on them, and then God will deal with them as they continue living in their sin. 
And so the interesting thing about this is that, that the Bible teaches that we can't go back in time and change what we've already done, but that we can start over uh, in, in what, uh, in, in, and that's what of our encounter, the person that we're encountering today had with Jesus. He got to do something different. No, it doesn't take away the scars and the pain and the memory uh, is probably going to still, you know, keep you somewhat anxious about whatever's going on around you, but it doesn't have to ruin us. You don't have to, uh, to keep allowing those bad choices or things done to us to rent space in our heads. We don't have to do that, but we all have regrets. Another one of my regrets, I think it was around fifth grade, I got mad at my mom. Uh, something my sisters did. I don't remember what it was. She got after me, and I stormed upstairs, and she said, wait till your dad gets home. And uh, I was so angry with her. Uh, I don't even remember again what it was about, and I kicked a hole in the wall in my bedroom. Uh, I, 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 not only did I hurt my foot, when my dad got home, I got a spanking, okay? Uh, that made me even angrier, and I thought, you know, I'll show you. I'm going to stuff my G.I. Joe action fingers down the hole that I just kicked in the wall and all that stuff, and then you're going to have to buy me some new ones. Dumb idea. Because my parents didn't buy me any new ones. And if you know anything about me and my G.I. Joe action figures, man, that was it back in the day. I had every one of them. And, and my, my dad told me that I will never see those Joes again and how I regretted that. And I couldn't take it back. And after my dad had passed, I drove by the old homestead, and, and they tore down our house. All Eakin's sh uh, shoe repair and all that stuff in that corner there. It, everything was gone. And the first thing that came to my mind was that moment that I got angry, and I shoved my G.I. Joe action figures, two of them, with all of their, their, their belongings down the cavity of that wall two stories up. And I knew, you know, I, I knew in that moment that what my dad told me was actually a fulfilled prophecy because I never saw those G.I. Joes again. And I wish I would have been there when they tore the house down because I would have been on top of that telling the cranes to stop so I can get my Joes. <laughs> one, of them, one of them was a Japanese G.I. Joe. And today that Japanese G.I. Joe and all his stuff is worth $3,000 today for a Dow. Well, I shouldn't call it a Dow's action figure. I wish I could go back. And so how do we move away from the shame and the guilt and the hurt and frustrations and embarrassment and start this new life that Christ talks about? Well, you, you have to be honest with yourself and start moving in the right direction and start making good decisions. Every story that we've looked at had to wade through decisions that they were making in order to remove whatever crowd kept them from Jesus. And the same goes for Nicodemus in our story today in John chapter 3. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3 starting in verse 1. And the same goes for us, to push through whatever it might be in order to get to Jesus because he is the only one who will graciously give us opportunities to overcome our pains and our regrets, our fears, our doubts. You've got to have the courage to be the person God wants you to be, even if it means to be totally different than everyone else in your circle of influence, your coworkers, your friends, your family, those you worship with. And that can be a difficult thing to do. If you, especially if you're only, the only one moving in, in a, a different direction by yourself. We all want to be accepted, so we'll compromise truth and morality and kindness and compassion in order to achieve that desire. We want the American dream to be rich and famous and good-looking and popular and successful to be part of something. But in order to be part of Jesus, what are you, what are you willing to sacrifice to have a real life-changing experience with Christ? 
With, with a change that comes in an encounter with Jesus, it mean, doesn't mean that you simply change for the sake of changing so that you can belong. We can't be that shallow in a relationship with Christ. It has got to be real. And in order for Nicodemus to actually see Jesus for who he really was, he was going to have to start facing some of his life choices and start acting and looking, uh, looking different than what he was doing and moving past what his peers thought of him and Jesus. Nicodemus was a little different than most of the other Jewish leaders because he wanted to get a little closer look at Jesus. He wanted to know who this guy really was. And so Nick needed strength to overcome his peers because they were, uh, they, they were only uh, religious in the sense that they followed all the rules, they followed the law. They looked at Jesus' ministry, the people that he hung out with, with disdain and jealousy. They hate the idea that Jesus is uh, teaching in their towns because he messed up their religious and their law systems, which has affected their bottom line and their credibility. They wanted something from Jesus physically, but they wanted him to keep his mouth shut and, and, and when it came to spiritual truth. They didn't want to hear from him. And while teaching, uh, treating Jesus this way, thinking of Jesus this way, Nicodemus starts to notice something different about Jesus, about his character and his teachings. He has heard and seen the difference Jesus was making in other people's lives, and he's hoping that by meeting Jesus himself, he might be able to, to make some change himself. And Jesus does just that. You see, Nicodemus could be spending all of his time with his elite uh, religious and political friends, but on this particular uh, evening, he pushes through his way through the, the dark streets of Jerusalem to find Jesus, who they assumed was nothing more than a troublemaker from Galilee. You see, Jesus brought a lot of attention uh, to himself with his teachings and his healings, and, and Nicodemus is wondering, could this be the guy? Is he the one? Nicodemus even comes to Jesus with a confession there in verse 2. Rabbi, we know you are from God. Interesting statement. There's a whole sermon in, that, in and of itself there. But what an incredible thing to say to someone who has just set on fire your credibility and your power. And Jesus' response to Nicodemus is a bit confusing because right after Nicodemus says, hey, you know, uh, we know you are from God, Jesus says this. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How do you go from that to this? And and. and Nick, Nick didn't know the context, Nicodemus didn't know the context like we do, so he's got to be thinking to himself, what in Yahweh's name is this guy talking about? Jesus insults this man, this religious leader who just gave him a compliment. You see, we think that everything Jesus does and says is done with compassion and kindness, and that is not always the case with Jesus. But everything he does say and everything he does do has spiritual meaning. And when people disrespected God, mistreated the poor or the innocent, used their position of authority for personal gain or control, Jesus always lashed out at them. And so Nicodemus is standing before the one who could radically change his life, his entire life, and I want you to pay attention to what he says. In secret. After dark, one evening, a Jewish religious leader named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to Jesus uh, to speak with Jesus. And teacher, we know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are proof enough that God is with you. And so the interesting thing is in this encounter is that Nick, who happens to be a ruling member of the Jewish council and a Pharisee, has decided to approach Jesus after dark. So he clearly doesn't want to be seen by Jesus or seen with Jesus by his peers or the community at, at large. He knows that if he is seen with Jesus, his life is going to be ruined, kind of like our cancel culture today. And, and I, I know it looks bad that Nicodemus comes to Jesus after dark, but at least he goes, right? 
He's the only leader, man enough, in this group of Pharisees that that actually talked to Jesus in person. All the others kept their distance, but but their accusations of Jesus were loud and clear. And Nick decides to go against his peers to meet Jesus, which I'm sure was a little bit frightening and a little difficult to do. And he says to Jesus, your miraculous signs are proof enough that God is with you. As he's looking around, hoping nobody followed him or is listening in the shadows. Maybe you worry about your friends finding out that you might be interested in Jesus. So what? Who cares? Just, just be careful not to get caught out, uh, up in you know, outward you know, appearances and, or verbal spirituality. You know, all the Jesus, you know, the religious lingo. Start hanging out with people who have fallen in love with Jesus and not their religious standing because they could actually be the very ones that keep you from becoming what God wants you to become. Pay attention to the spiritual fruit those who you hang out with are producing, right? Are are they making the most of every opportunity to advance the gospel? Do they uh, help uh, and love those who are in need or are they they, uh, 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 those who are different? Or are they, you know, complicit and lazy and haters and bitter and gossips and unforgiving? If those are the people you hang out with, remove yourself from that. If they, if they are not producing Jesus lovers, then maybe you need to be the example setter by removing yourself from that crowd and start bearing good fruit on your own. Move away from being dead in your faith to being an active participant. That's what happened in every one of our encounters. Church, every one of us, the entire church across the world at some point in their life has done something wrong. We can't avoid that truth, but it doesn't mean that you have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to be living in the cemetery smelling of death. But we, because we all have an opportunity to begin a new life in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul talks about throughout the whole book of Romans, all of his epistles. We have a choice in this, just like Nick is offered here in John chapter 3 by Jesus. And I know some are fearful of Jesus ever accepting you for the things that you've done. Church, he already knows, and yet he still offers the invitation. But Tim, you don't know what I've done. Maybe I don't, maybe I do. But what's it matter what I know or what I don't know? God knows, and he still offers you a new life in Christ. And if you think you've gone too far for God to bring you back, to love you, to forgive you, to bring you into his family, then you're limiting God, and you're, and you're making a mockery of the sacrifice of Jesus. I know how easy it is to get caught up in in the situation and how circumstances will create an atmosphere uh, for our emotions to run wild and and scare us into thinking that nothing's going to work, not even God. Would you please stop it? Your issues are not something Christ can't give you strength to overcome and start over. We've read through some pretty amazing transformations so we know he can change the worst of circumstances and choices. We've seen some pretty awesome testimonies so far. And every one of you have a testimony how Jesus has changed you. Look at verse 3. I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. I assure you, he says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And Nick is like, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus is talking about the opportunity of becoming a new person from the inside out. Nicodemus says a lot of spiritual things here, but nothing about the kingdom of God or the spiritual ramifications of the miracles Jesus has already accomplished in his ministry. And so Jesus gets a little sassy here, but only towards Nicodemus' heart. 
And the same for us. He's trying to speak spiritual truth into our hearts so that, he, that, that we will make some life changes. Now, if Jesus does come from God, as Nick says here, the logical conclusion is that he is the Messiah, and Nicodemus should have recognized this being a ruler of Israel. So Nicodemus' understanding of Jesus' ministry needed a lot of work. He, he is convinced that all of his service to God, his education, his experiences, his cloud, his position, would be a great asset to Jesus' ministry. Hey, Jesus, when are we going to get started? And Jesus says in verse 10, you are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? I, I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then, will I, how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? And again, this is Israel's teacher. Not only does Jesus not need our resumes and earthly knowledge, if we are to enter the kingdom of heaven, we need to bury those physical ribbons, Right? We need to get rid of that stuff. Nothing we have accomplished in this world gets us into heaven. We start fresh when we encounter Jesus and we allow him to transform us. According to Jesus, we must be born again, right? Uh, literally born from above. That's what that means. Born from above to get into the presence of God. And being born again is the work of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, not anything that we do. That's what he says in verses 11 through 15. Paul writes this to, to young Titus. He says, but when the kindness and love of God and our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs of having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And all this comes from God who loved the world. John 3, 16. None of this happens without God's love. And so Nicodemus, you know, he's been a, a religious leader who thinks the only good Jew is one who can follow the law to a T. And that's what the Pharisees always said they did. But Jesus knew that was not happening. And they were breaking whatever law that they wanted to because it was too much of a burden for them. And then they're trying to justify it because they were the ones who got to enforce the law. In other words, I'm above the law, but the rest of you, you're not. And James says in chapter 2 of his letter, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in just one point, he's become guilty of breaking all of it. None of us are worthy without Christ. None of us. Nick thought he was something special, but Jesus tells him he's missing the intent here. If you want to have life, you've got to be born again. A start fresh, covered in God's grace. That's what this is all about. This term simply means you have finally understood your position and your identity in Jesus Christ and what he offers, a new life. And, and you've been given the blessing to start over. You, you can't be born again, you know, and not be a Christian. And, and you can't be a Christian without being born again. That's what Jesus, Nicodemus is having a difficult time separating the law and its gatekeepers and understanding God's work in the life of Christ. I mean, you can hear it in Nick's response here in verse 4. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb, can he? Now you and I know that's not what Jesus meant. But we're on this side of the written word. 
Nick wasn't. He, he's being serious. He's thinking literally here. He can't wrap his mind around the possibility that Jesus is using this term to simply imply a spiritual rebirth. To, that one gets to start over in Christ. That's why we immerse the way we do. That water does nothing special for you over there. It's this rebirth. The scripture says that you're born again as a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's what that represents over there. Jesus is just trying to Nick to break away from his old way of thinking and the way for, what, and, and the way for him to do that it, it was for him to remove himself from all the other Pharisees who saw the law as the only means to God and Jesus was nothing more than a nuisance. And so the reason we enter as newborns is because everything that earned us honor before is now unimportant. Unless we humbly come before God, then access to the kingdom is denied, according to Jesus. There are no shortcuts here. It's only through Jesus by way of the cross, church. We've learned that Jesus is more concerned with spiritual healing uh, than he was a physical healing, but the people in our stories, they all got both. And so whatever you receive, whatever you receive, would you please give God a chance to move, you, uh, uh, move in you and through you. Let the world see that you actually love Jesus by your changed life and not just give him lip service. Don't just come to, to worship in a physical sense and ignore what's most important. You come into this building as the body of Christ, whether online or here, you, we're coming together as church, as family, uh, to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to Jesus in John chapter 4. If you remember the woman at the well, uh, when she met Jesus uh, and they were talking about the living water and where to worship, she shares with Jesus that she was taught that you could only worship God on Mount Gerizim, and that's where uh, uh, Abraham and Jacob and Moses built altars to God, and she said, and the Jews say that the only place you can worship God is in Jerusalem. And then Jesus responds in, in chapter 4 there, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God, Jesus, the spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah, the, this, the, 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 the one that's called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he's going to be able to teach us everything. And this is what's so cool here. Jesus says to this woman, I am I am he, the one speaking to you. I'm that guy. And you remember she went back to her hometown and she became one of the greatest evangelists in the first century. Church, there is more to life than just walking around aimlessly. God wants us to have life and have it in abundance with joy and in community with others who are in love with his son. Maybe you're tired of the journey that you're on. Uh, you're exhausted by life, the kind of life that you've been living where you get up every day and you just kind of do the same thing over and over again, feeling like you've never accomplished anything. Your life is like that movie uh, Groundhog Day where it's just the same old stuff, repeat it, repeat, repeat. You feel like your life has been controlled by by bad decisions and your life is just a waste of time and, and God God's got something greater planned for every one of us you just need to seek him out with all of your heart according to Jeremiah and he promises that you're gonna find him you're gonna find that fulfillment and if you think your life has been meaningless then you are not living the kind of life that Christ has called you to live you're not living the life he wants for you he says in verse 6 flesh gives birth to flesh in other words, humans can only produce human 
life. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. This isn't about starting a new career or a new hobby. This is about living in the Spirit of our God. This is, this is the life that God wants you to have and that Jesus promises if you trust him. And we all, we all have the opportunity, as bad as we know our sins are, to remove ourselves from any kind of influences that keep us from experiencing God and being transformed into the person he desires of us. It doesn't matter where you come from or what you've done. God wants you to, to help you to begin fresh, this new life. Our God is a God of second and third and fourth and however many chances you need. That's our God. My dad used to tell us that as long as someone still has breath in their body, there's a chance for them to change. So don't ever give up on them. That's, he used to teach us that all the time. And so there is no limit in our second chances with God as long as we are still alive. So don't ever give up on anybody around you that think they're worthless. You continue to pray. You continue to encourage. You and God, you know, you know your deep, deep, dark secrets. You know all about that. We all know that we don't deserve you know, uh, chances, but God through Jesus, gives them to us every day. Every day. That's why I did the rock illustration a few weeks ago to just to simply illustrate, uh, to bring to light that none of us have the right to throw rocks at anyone else, not even a pebble. Only Jesus has the right to do that, and he chooses not to cast those stones, but to cover us with his grace and his forgiveness and his love. And so, church, what do you do? What will you do with that grace and love that's covered you so far? It, it, it's pretty simple. We move on those new opportunities by living our lives for Christ and advancing the gospel. Because whenever we are given a, a, a new life, that fresh start, we know it costs something. And in the context here, it costs Jesus his life for us to have another chance. Church, that's how great our God is. He, he loves to forgive. He simply asks that we believe and look to his son, Jesus, for being lifted up high on that cross for us and then put action to that faith. Look at verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, referring to Jesus, must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him, Jesus, may have eternal life. The bronze snake in Moses is referencing what happened in Numbers chapter 21 as the Israelites are wandering around in the wilderness and they're complaining against God again. And so he sent poisonous snakes to give them something to really complain about. The snakes bit many of them and many of them died. And so they cry out to God uh, for mercy and ask for forgiveness. And he says, okay, Moses, build a, a bronze snake and put it on a pole. And when someone is bitten by the snake, uh, a snake, they are to look at the bronze snake and they will, they're going to be healed or they're going to be saved. Isn't it interesting God didn't remove the snakes? He left them there. He's putting their faith to the test again. Verse 14, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes on him, who sees him, who has that encounter with him, will have eternal life. Again, he's talking about being lifted up on a cross. The bronze snake saved people from physical death. Jesus is saving people from spiritual death. If your life is going in a direction that you don't like and you want to start over, then please start looking to Jesus so that he can show you and help you have the kind of wonderful life that he desires for you. Start running away from the things that has kept you from Christ and start lifting Christ up instead of your woe is me life. Every person that has a problem in their life, I can show you and tell you about somebody else who had something a whole lot worse perspective. 
God gives a bunch of messed up people opportunities because he loves us and wants us to enjoy life to its fullest, knowing we have the greatest or a greater hope down the road. It's something he promises. Jesus' whole ministry is summed up in John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in verse 17, you can see that God is gracing us with an opportunity to have this new life, this new birth, if you will. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He's giving us a chance. Your new life in Christ starts the moment you have that encounter with him and you choose to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It doesn't start, you know, just when you die. Nicodemus went to Jesus at night, but at least he went, and in this encounter, it started something new, something fresh in, in Nicodemus' life. He, he became a true follower of Christ by removing his mental and emotional relationship with the uh, other Jewish leaders in the rotten attitude towards Christ. And we see it in John chapter 7, when the Jewish leaders were gathered together again in the evening, plotting to kill Jesus, and Nick finally speaks up during this meeting of the Sanhedrin, saying their injustice in condemning a man without a fair trial was absolutely absolutely wrong on every level, including the law that they were so eager to enforce. He's calling them out. Verse 15, Nick, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own by number, asked, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? And then they get stupid with him. Are you from Galilee too, Nicodemus? Wake up. Nothing good comes out of Galilee. There's no prophet that's going to come from the other side of the tracks. Are you kidding me? And in, verse and in chapter 19 in John, we see how Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, this time in full view of the self-righteous peers and the community at large, they provide a cemetery plot and all the spices for Jesus' burial. Both men were part of the Sanhedrin, but these two religious leaders came to know Jesus as the true Messiah. Both of these men at this time were all in. Their lives were changed. Church, what's keeping you from fully accepting, experiencing Jesus' grace, forgiveness, and love? Why are you so afraid to renew or even start a relationship with Christ? You see, Nick was willing to, to, to uh, he, he took the chance of losing his entire livelihood, his position, his power, his present relationships for a new life in Christ. And then Jesus responds, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds uh, were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what has been done has been done through God. Jesus is kind of hitting at Nicodemus for coming in the darkness. But he's saying, I'm okay with that. Make sure from this point on you live in light. And so the, the, those of, uh, for, for those who live by the truth, uh, those who are living by the truth are going to do what God wants with a fresh look on life, right? G church, live your life as one who actually believes in Jesus. Don't be ashamed of what your life is or was because in Christ you can have this new beginning. We've been washed as white as snow. That's what the scripture says. So stop hiding from God and pursue an encounter with Christ. And I'm telling you, it's going to change your life forever. Let go of whatever regrets have held you back and come to Christ and allow him to change you into the person he desires so that one day you can tell other people around you that I fell in love with Jesus and I'm not turning back.
If you found value in this message, then we want to encourage you to subscribe to this channel. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, then please share it with them. NLCC has another podcast called The Other Six, where we discuss what it looks like to have an everyday faith on the other six days of the week. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts, or there's a video version on our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening in and participating with us. We look forward to doing this again with you next week.